Broadcasting live from the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio inside the Sonesta Gwinnett Place Atlanta Hotel. It's time for Travel Safely with Brian Mulligan. Travel Safely is presented by Applied Information, creator of the Travel Safely smartphone app. Welcome everybody to Travel Safely, the business talk show bringing you the latest in innovation from transportation, technology and entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Brian Mulligan, coming to you from the Subaru Business Radio X studio in Gwinnett, Georgia. This show is sponsored by Applied Information, a technology company here in Gwinnett, focused on using technology to save lives, improve traffic, and to drive commerce. Safety is a major question in the transportation industry. 40,000 people in the United States die on the roads each year, and millions more are injured. Something has to be done. And we at Travel Safely are trying to address these problems in a new way. Our guest today is Eric Tannenblatt, who is the Global Chair, Public Policy and Regulation with Denton's Law Firm. Welcome, Eric. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, welcome. So the topic of the day we're going to try and chat about is trying to improve the safety and effectiveness of the transportation using connected, autonomous and electric vehicles. Those are all the buzzwords that we're talking about. So, Eric, thanks for joining me on the show. Happy to be here. So firstly, we're all humans. It's a public interest side. Tell us a little bit about the Eric Tannenblatt story and and how did you end up in Denton's in your current role? Well, I have spent my entire career in and around government. I've worked for three presidents. Uh, I worked for President George H.W. Bush in the late 80s. I uh, worked for a United States Senator from Georgia, Paul Coverdell, in the 90s. I worked for President uh, George W. Bush. Uh, and in uh, 2001, I joined uh, the law firm of Long Aldridge and Norman, uh, which is uh, no longer in existence. It merged in and became McKenna Long and Aldridge, which is also no longer in existence because <laughs> it merged in and became Denton's. And Denton's is now the largest law firm in the world with over 12,000 uh, employees. We are in 175. We have 175 offices in 75 countries and continuing to grow. Wow, that's 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 quite a story. So you were in in Washington D.C. I did. I lived in Washington, and I lived here in Atlanta now uh, thirty years. Okay, okay. Well, that gives you kind of a unique perspective because one of the things that we that we have is that the surface transportation network is run by the government today. I mean, that's just the reality. Since the Eisenhower interstate system and local roads, there's city, county, and state governments running the roads. And when, when now, now we get to the situation of all these deaths and, and problems, and everybody looks at the government and says, so what are you going to do about this? And I think that that's uh, one of the things we're going to try and, and talk about together because you've got a great perspective of the government side of us, and I'm obviously a private sector technology guy all these years. What are we going to do together to try and solve these these problems? Well, it's going to require the partnership of the private sector and the government. There's some some big challenges uh, within the government, especially as we, as you mentioned at the uh, top of the show about uh, autonomous vehicles, because this is a whole new area uh, of technology. Uh, Currently, the federal government has historically regulated the, the vehicle and the state has regulated the drivers, 
well, now oh, wow, the yeah. drivers are the vehicle, or they're actually the vehicles, the driver <laughs> in autonomous vehicles. So uh, this is a, a whole new, um, whole new area, and it's a whole area that is going to require uh, a lot of regulation. And the technology is moving so fast, so quickly, uh, that I'm not sure our policymakers uh, are equipped uh, to. Uh, put the appropriate uh, laws and regulations in place. And that's why I think the private sector uh, can play a key role in that. I mean, that's a great point. I mean, I'm a technology guy. And so I always say that those those of us in the private sector technology space, we always have the ability to overwhelm the government's ability to regulate us. Right. Regulation always comes after the innovation. And, and that, that's a fundamental um, question of the federal government's role in regulating vehicles and the state's role in regulating drivers, and then the city and county's role in managing the road network. So we actually cut across all sections of government in, in addressing this problem. Yeah, a- a- absolutely. And, and, you know, one of the reasons why you're seeing so many uh, companies out there testing the technology and gathering the data is so that when our policymakers do come around to having to put laws and regulations in place, uh, they can make decisions based on data. Uh, you know, companies like, like Waymo which is probably one of the leaders in autonomous driving. I mean, they have millions and millions of miles of testing that's been done. And so they have all of this data. Other uh, auto manufacturers, whether it's uh, or ride-sharing companies, but, I mean, you have Ford, you have General Motors, uh, you have the ride-sharing companies like Uber and Lyft, of course, Tesla. Uh, You know, they're all gathering a whole lot of data as it relates to uh, autonomous uh, technology. And that data is going to be critically important, uh, you know, as our lawmakers, whether it's at the federal, state or local level, uh, start putting uh, appropriate regulations in place. The, the other thing, too, is uh, with autonomous vehicles, um, electrification uh, sort of leads to autonomy. Go, they go together. They do. And, and what you're seeing is certain uh, jurisdictions here in the United States in particular that uh, have created a climate that has been welcoming towards electric vehicles, have seen the testing of autonomous vehicles uh, more, more readily um, than those states that have not shown um, sort of an appetite for electric vehicles. The, the best example would be right here in the state of Georgia. In 2015, Georgia was number two in the country in terms of electric vehicles. Uh, and then our legislature uh, got rid of the electric vehicle tax credit. We're now at the at the back of the pack. There was a 90% decline in the sale of electric vehicles in the state of Georgia. Right. And as a result of that, we're sort of behind the curve in Georgia in terms of the testing of autonomous vehicles. And you look at what's going on in California or, or, or Arizona. Arizona is like ground zero in Phoenix. And again, it was political leadership in the state of Arizona. Governor Ducey, the the governor of Arizona, proactively went and recruited uh, autonomous vehicle testing to come to Arizona and wanted to be at the forefront. And I think you're going to see autonomous vehicles. They are already deployed in Arizona, but they're they're becoming more common. Um, And you're seeing it in Northern California. 
uh, as well. And I think that these states that are the early adopters uh, are going to be far ahead and at a greater advantage than those states that aren't. And so there's an example of policy as it relates to electric vehicles and the infrastructure that's needed for electric vehicles. It's not just a tax credit. The tax credit was to stimulate the market. Um, But we now need to play catch up and we need to build the infrastructure so that people are more willing uh, to go out and buy an electric vehicle because they're coming. You could look at all the auto manufacturers and they're all producing electric vehicles. Right. And in fact, that this is a, a paradigm shift. In fact, I was at a focus group today talking about what change we're in Georgia here and so what changes potentially are, are in front of the Georgia Department of Transportation and it's quite an interesting thing for an uh, organization like that that's been in business for many many years building roads and, and we're technology guys and you know the business of trying to buy technology for the roadway with the asset purchase systems that work for buying concrete and asphalt actually just don't work very well. And so I I say that in the private sector, um, we do certain things well, but there are two things that we can't do. The first is public policy. What is the political will of the people? That's a government role. And the second one is safety. You touched on that. And that's where um, there's some some track record in that area. We've built motor cars um, with, let's say, a pickup truck with a steering column that was a solid rod, and you had a relatively minor accident, and it would make a hole in your chest and kill you. So we went from there to having NHTSA, the federal guys who regulate the industry, and now we've got airbags and collapsible steering columns and and seat belts and, and all kinds of regulations which I think the general populace would say has been a good thing we've made for, for safer motor vehicles. Because that's an interesting thing that we in the private sector can't really do is uh, the, all the car companies had what they called safety packages and nobody ever bought them. Because people, as it seems, just don't buy safety. They think themselves invincible and accidents happen to other people. So uh, do you see any sense of this? Is the, is the folks who are adopting autonomous vehicles and advocating for them, like Arizona, focused on public policy and then leaving the implementation, you know, trying to frame safety, but then leaving the implementation of autonomous vehicles, that, that gets left to the private sector? Um, ab- absolutely. I mean, the, the, all of the testing is being done by the private sector, and they're the ones that are developing uh, the technology. And the, the states are trying to, that, are, that are promoting uh, autonomous testing are trying to give the private sector as much flexibility so that they can develop products that are going to ultimately be safer for the population. You know, 80-plus percent of accidents that occur today is by human error. Right, And so when we move to autonomous uh, vehicles, uh, there's going to be a dramatic drop. I mean, you're not going to have people uh, that are going to be hitting the brake and, and creating these accidents because what will ultimately happen is vehicles will be talking to vehicles. And we're going to cut down on the accidents and make things a lot safer. I happen to be one of the people, and people debate with me on this as well, but I think uh, come 10 years from now, Uh, it's going to be very different in terms of who actually owns a car. I think we're moving more towards uh, ride-sharing fleets. 
and and that's going to be a big game changer. Right now, I think they say 95% of the time, most of our cars sit idle in a garage or in a parking lot. Uh, and we're only using them 4 or 5% of the time. Well, if you have these ride-sharing fleets, they'll be on the road 95% of the time. And the other thing, too, is as we move towards electric vehicles, the distance that an electric vehicle, the, life, the lifespan of an electric vehicle, is so much greater than a combustible engine vehicle. A combustible engine vehicle, you know, their lifespan is about 150 to 200,000 miles. Electric vehicles can go 500 to a million miles. Right. So, I mean, that's going to be a paradigm shift. I believe that kid, children born today may never learn how to drive. And if you move to a society where we have electric vehicle, autonomous vehicle fleets, uh, then the, the owner of the vehicle is going to be whoever's managing the fleet as opposed to the individual. So the individual will no longer need to be paying for insurance. The, whoever's running the fleets will ha- cover the insurance. However, the insurance costs should decline because there'll be less human error. And so that's going to put more disposable income in the hands of all of us. Efficiency drives the cost of everything right. down. So for our friends who might be listening in the public sector who who, who worrying you know, about making laws and regulations, what, what do you see the biggest regulatory hurdles right now? What do you see? Well, on the, I, I touched on uh, with regards to electrification and electric vehicles. I think there needs to be uh, policy to incentivize uh, the deployment of more infrastructure. Uh, one of the challenges with electric vehicles and one of the hesitations a lot of people have is they can't go the distance they need to go. Now, battery technology, in addition to declining the technology in, in cost, the technology is getting better that you can go longer distances. However, uh, you still can't go some of the, the distances that you would need if, say, you wanted to go from Atlanta to Savannah, Georgia. You're going to need to, at some point, stop and charge your vehicle along the way. And so for long distances, I think we're going to need to demonstrate that we have the infrastructure uh, to support uh, electric vehicles. So that that's one one particular sure. area. And then and then if you look at you know we're just talking about individuals and, and vehicles, but uh, from a logistics standpoint, I think one of the areas where we may actually see them deployed sooner than cars in the main uh, is trucks. Right. And and that's one area where state departments of transportation can be preparing for There's something called platooning, right. where trucks follow one another, and maybe you have a driver in the first truck and the others are just following. Um, there are things that can be done in terms of dedicated lanes for 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 freight, um, and so I I think that there's a, a number of areas where um, our policymakers can be looking at ways in which they can advance the deployment of these vehicles and also smart technology like what your company is doing working um, you know the project with the city of Atlanta and and other projects that you're doing uh, to create smart technology with synchronization of traffic lights and making it a lot easier uh, for cars to you know make their way down the different roadways. Fantastic. Uh, so after the break, Eric, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what can technology in the private sector do to help. We've got some thoughts I want to talk to you about and also some shared Tesla stories because we, I know we both drive Teslas. So on that note, it's uh, 30 Seconds with Sarah. Thanks, Brian. Filling in for Sarah this time, I'm Bill Welts. Rush hours really are the worst, and Atlanta rush hours can be some of the worst in the nation, if not the entire world. 
The ATL routinely ranks in the top 10 for really bad traffic. But which Atlanta rush hour is the worst, morning or evening? According to the Georgia Department of Transportation, or GDOT, it's the evening. Seems like more of us are in more of a hurry to get home than get to work. Here's the numbers. You'll average 33 miles an hour on the most congested metro freeways going home at a blistering 37 miles an hour getting to work. There is light at the end of at least one of these tunnels. GDOT plans to open up some additional express lanes on the north side of town in the not-too-distant future, so you may pay your way to a faster commute. Filling in for Sarah, she's back next time. I'm Bill Wells. So, thanks, Eric, for joining me today. This, in case you're just joining us, this is Travel Safely with Brian Mulligan. How to save lives, improve traffic, drive commerce, and help the environment with our guest, Eric Tannenblatt from Dentons. So, Eric, before we get on to talking about Tesla and our shared experience uh, with electric and autonomous vehicles... Let's touch on two private sector things which uh, people often ask me about when we come to autonomous vehicles. H- how's that going to reshape the insurance environment? Well, I think it's going to uh, drop insurance costs. There was a, a study about a year and a half ago by Aon, which is one of the larger insurers, that said that there'll be a d- drop uh, roughly 30 plus percent in insurance premiums Mm. as a result of autonomous vehicles because of the safety issue. And we talked about that earlier, but if you're dealing with computers talking to computers, cars talking to cars, um, you know, you're going to have less uh, accidents. And, you know, there was the accident recently with uh, Uber, which we've now learned after um, after they studied that it was more of a, it was human error. Human error, yeah. Um, uh, it, that that gets a lot of news, but there are far more accidents that are occurring with combustible engine vehicles uh, every single day than that one that occurred. Well, in- interestingly, a, a person gets killed as a pedestrian every three point six hours. Right, right. <laughs> so, th- so those are the those are the numbers. Yes, that one made the news, but. Uh, the four other people who died that day or six other people who died that day didn't make the news. But that's because the technology is new and people have sort of this fear, fear of the unknown. But I think it's going to become more mainstream, which is another thing that I've I've told people uh, why I'm such a big advocate for testing and why I think we should have testing here in, in the state of Georgia, because I think the more people see these vehicles, like the shuttles on North Avenue, yeah. the more they see it and they see that it's real and that it works, I think the more accept- accepting they'll be when they become more mainstream. Yeah, Faye DeMassimo, uh, when she was running the program, had a great expression, and that was socializing the technology. Right. That Absolutely. was a key part of her mission is get everybody seeing it, get everybody used to it, because it's coming. Abs- absolutely. Absolutely. And it's also uh, a, lot, a lot less expensive than some of the more traditional uh, modes of transportation that we've been sure. accustomed to. And you know, there's a lot of debate uh, in just about every city and state about rail and putting in more rail. And that is such an expensive, it's very expensive to put in rail. It takes a long time to do it as well, where you can plop down an autonomous shuttle a lot quicker. I mean, this is an interesting, uh, someone told me this the other day, which you know sort of blew me away about cars that uh, combustible engine uh, cars have over 2,000 parts, <laughs> yeah. where electric vehicles have 18. <laughs> so if you start thinking about shuttles, how quickly it could be, you could, you could actually uh, uh, manufacture a, uh autonomous electric shuttle with a 3D printer. Right. Yeah, there are some guys <laughs> doing that. I, you know, 
familiar with that. The other question that uh, when we're talking about autonomous cars, and there's all this various levels and things like that, is what's law enforcement going to do? What is your local cop going to do when he tries to pull over an autonomous vehicle? I mean, should he be able to electronically do that if he must it recognize his lights? And what happens when he gets there to write the thing a ticket and there's nobody in the driver's seat? Yeah, I mean, that, that's, those are very good questions. I mean, there's going to be a lot of questions like that. You hope to think, though, that when we have autonomous vehicles on the street, uh, there again will be technology to figure out who's responsible for that. And hopefully they won't be speeding because they'll be following the laws and they'll be programmed to follow the laws. Yeah, I mean that's uh, maybe that's another business opportunity for me. Yeah, I had I hadn't actually thought about that. Yeah, I but maybe I should be, be in the law enforcement of autonomous vehicles. Maybe that's an entrepreneurial opportunity. Tesla, Tesla's yes. great vehicle, best car I've ever had. Likewise, <laughs> we both drive them. Yes, I wasn't a Tesla fan when I bought my car. I bought it because I wanted to experience electric, connected, and autonomous. And was this for real? And, and, and so what is your experience as an electric connected and autonomous vehicle driver? Well, as I said, it's the best car I've ever had. Uh, it's amazing. I've had it for two and a half years. I haven't been to a gas station. That's a, <laughs> that's a big plus. Um, quiet. Actually, I'm going to interrupt you there because I've got this little story about people who say about the gas station thing, you know. And I say, so one of the things that people who drive gasoline cars do, they go to this vaguely sketchy, dangerous place that you always feel unsafe in the middle of the night. You put the smelly, explosive fluid in your vehicle right next to your children. And somehow you think that that's a good idea and that electrification's not coming at you? That's right. That's right. And I think that there's another business opportunity too, especially along the interstate. I think someone needs to prepare for all of these charging stations. And, you know, the charging technology has become so advanced that you could do it quicker probably still not as quick as how you know the time it takes to fill a car with gas so you know whether it's waffle house or starbucks or someone you know there need to be places for people to go while their cars are are charging right it's a whole new business opportunity but but i i think uh, back to the the tesla in addition to not having to go to a gas station and how quiet it is and how environmentally um, you know, sound it is. Uh, I am just amazed uh, at the uh, at the technology. And the thing that really gets me is Tesla's really only level three of level five. So it is not even doing all that autonomous vehicles can do. And yet it is so much more advanced than just a regular combustible engine vehicle. And, and when you're driving down the interstate and driving to Florida, uh, my story is that my wife was uh, in the passenger seat next to me with her eyes closed. And I said, but dear, you never drive with me with your eyes closed. And with her eyes closed, she, looked, she, she said, I'm happy to keep my eyes closed because there's somebody else looking over your shoulder. And that really is the sense, is. I think, you, that, there's, that there's an extra driver in the car helping you drive. A- absolutely. And you see it all the time. If you move over to a lane, it lets you know. Uh, y- you know, there are so many warning signals. Uh, and then if you, you turn it on to autopilot, I mean, that is just a fascinating technology, uh, especially on the interstate. Uh, you just have to make sure you don't fall asleep because, <laughs> it's be- because it really does take over the car. And drives uh, like a co-pilot as it, it does. As it, that that's all. Uh, that's all fascinating. 
private sector capital. I'm an entrepreneur. You've got all this experience in government. Where should I invest my money? Well, I, you know, I, I talked about electric vehicles. They're going to happen. And the, the uh, battery technology has declined so much. In cost. In cost. And uh, the technology has improved, too. Yeah. And then the other area is autonomous vehicles, uh, the technology used for autonomous vehicles, the LiDAR technology. That technology has uh, dropped, declined in cost as well. So I would look at I would look at the um, if you're talking about investments, personal or uh, from a company standpoint, you know I'd look at the technologies that are being used for both electric vehicles and for autonomous vehicles um, because I think that we're gonna we're gonna move in that direction and uh, that that's really the future. Yeah, I think I think I can echo that back. That there's no doubt it's coming. It might be one year, it might be two years, it might be five years. You know, someone but, told me recently that it took 30 years uh, back in the 40s and 50s for people to embrace the refrigerator. And uh, I also saw a study that was done in 1990 by uh, a large consulting firm about the uh, adoption of cellular phones. And back then in 1990, we had those bricks, you know, those brick phones. And they predicted by the end of the decade, this would be 1999, 2000, there'd be 900,000 people uh, with these phones. It ends up it was 100 million. And so, you know, if you look 30 years for the refrigerator, a decade to get to 100 million in the 90s with the cell phone, disruption when it happens, it happens fast. And I think that's what's going to happen with electric vehicles. It certainly, it certainly seems to be coming. So you're, you're the global chair of your, of your practice. And so you've got this perspective from around the world. What lessons can we learn here in Georgia, maybe from from some of the things you've seen around the world. So, and what can we do as far as regulation and, and policy and government affairs, which is your area? What, what can we do? Well, th- there are certain areas around the world where they're moving quicker than we are here in the United States. And there's a lot, there's a lot going on in the United States. Uh, and, and I don't want to sound like there's not a lot going on in Georgia. I just think that given the innovative uh, you know, nature of our state and the city of Atlanta, I think there's a whole lot more we can be doing. But looking around the world, uh, you know, China is moving very quickly, yes. and that shouldn't surprise anyone. Uh, and, you know, they, they've got uh, cars on the road. They've got trucks on the road. Um, you know, you're seeing it in Germany. Uh, you could just go around the globe. In, in Singapore, for example, they were the first um, country that were they were testing um, autonomous taxis. Uh, the company that tested that was testing autonomous taxis about two years ago, a company called Newtonomy, which is out of Cambridge, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. So rather than testing those vehicles in the United States, they were testing them in Singapore. Now they're now testing them in the United States. But I think that you're you're seeing uh, other, and you could identify the countries are the ones that are more technologically um, savvy and advanced and have the resources. Are, are out testing the vehicles. So I think it's going to be um, sort of a, a competition as to who's going to get there first. I think we can learn from one another. I think we can learn from what China is doing. We can learn from what's happening in Germany. And they can also learn from what's happening here in the United States, especially uh, in California and Michigan and Ohio and Arizona. Unfortunately, Georgia's not on that list yet. Not, <laughs> not yet, but we're working hard to, to, to get it there. So... Thanks, Eric, and thanks for listening to Travel Safely, brought to you by Applied Information, the show about transportation, technology, innovation, and entrepreneurship. 
Today we were talking about the regulatory environment for future connected electric and autonomous vehicles. Eric, thanks so much for joining me and to helping make Atlanta and the world a better place. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. Until next time, this is Brian Mulligan signing off from Business Radio X. And travel safely.